to a couple more locations to solidify my findings and put them all in an incubator to grow. Let's see what we found out. Yeah, well, what he found out is... Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in downtown Milwaukee, this is Wisconsin's Morning News. Here's your host, Vince Vetrano. 11 minutes after 6 on this Wednesday morning. A couple development-related stories for you this morning, both urban and suburban. Let's do the latter first. You heard a little bit about it in the news here from Eric for the partners at the Milwaukee Business Journal reporting another and a, a close to a final piece, really, in that major development in southern Milwaukee County. $100 million apartment deal, nearly 400 units in Oak Creek's Drexel Town Square. Have you been down there at all? Yeah, well, yeah, it's nice. It's pretty amazing mm-hmm. to think that used to... Was that the old Delphi plant? I believe that's correct. Or is that where they relocated City Hall and all that? No, that's all right down there, right? It I used thought, to be that big auto parts plant, right? I believe so. And then they cleared all that, and yep. they had this vision for kind of creating, because Oak Creek like didn't have a downtown, right? It didn't have that Main Street yeah, sort go-to. of thing. So they created that. And the Business Journal reporting that the OC is going to help finance this new two-building project. Oak Creek, under the agreement, would put up about $15 million. Now, some of that would be loans that would be paid back to developer Barrett Lowe, but the rest in tax refunds, basically in the form of new property taxes that would be generated by the new housing, then that kicks back to the developer. I'm always curious about where we have these developments take place. You know, and why this is happening. So they clearly see a model where people will want to live in those apartments to be right down there. We've seen this at other places too, like the corners in Brookfield. Yep. They have apartments. Very there similar too. type of deal. And you know who's gonna take all the credit for this? Scafidi's gonna come walking in here. Hey, this is right. my idea. Yeah, right. I had it. I yeah. built it. I built this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting though. I mentioned the public financing portion of it. Uh, you know, Oak Creek has you know, is putting up some money, and you do wonder that once that development is kickstarted, whether or not these sort of things would happen anyway, organically, okay. whether or not taxpayer dollars need to be invested in that way. But regardless, Oak Creek went that way with it. They've been super aggressive about building out this project. Working so far, they continue on that path. They are looking to break ground in 2024 on those new apartments. Another quick one here. Downtown Kohl's store appears closer to reality this morning and on track for a fall opening. Oh, no, you've you've got to go downtown, George. It's all downtown. The CEO, new CEO, Tom Kingsbury, quoted in the Milwaukee Business Journal this week, the historic anchor position of Hub 640 has been on our radar for years. We've been excited by all the incredible redevelopment and reinvestment activity happening in the West Town area. What is Hub 640? Nobody knows that, right? Nope. Basically, it's the back end of the old Grand Avenue Mall where Boston Store used to be. Yep. So it's in that space. There's some residential development there, and Kohl's is going to occupy just the first level, it sounds like, about a 40,000-square-foot facility. But, man, I'm thinking about where else do you have that type of retail, downtown you, you or near You don't, it? really. So hopefully it works with our Menominee Falls-based company, but they are on track for a fall opening in that old space here in now the Avenue. Oh, no, you've you've got to go downtown, George. It's all downtown. Time for an update from the Gruber Law Office's One Call, That's All Sports Desk. Here's Brandon Snide. After giving up the most runs in franchise history on Monday night to St. Louis, the Milwaukee Brewers bounce back on the road to take care of the Cardinals by a final score of 3-2. to two. And the first pitch to him, high fly ball, center field. Newt Bar retreating onto the warning track at the wall, and it is gone! 
Anderson gives the Brewers a 3-2 lead. Lane Grindle on the call right here on WTMJ as Brian Anderson would break the 2-2 tie and the Brewers' bullpen holds on for the victory. The good news, the crew with the win, they improved to 24-18 on the season. The bad news, as you heard, the bullpen, that was because starter Wade Miley had to exit the game following a left lat strain in the second inning after recording only five total outs. They did they were incredible. They really were. It was um you know, losing your starter five outs into the game, um, and the job that uh, all of them did. Um, and and doing some different things tonight and all pitching multiple innings was uh really, really impressive. Milwaukee will go for the series win tonight. That first pitch is all set for six forty five. Corbin Burns is expected to get the start. Over the NFL, where the Packers rookies are back in Green Bay, the rookies and vets will mix for the first time here soon. And you can count on Packers defensive coordinator Joe Barry as one who is excited to see the team's first-round pick, Lucas Van Ness, in the green and gold for now and for the future. You know, when you see a, a guy that walks in the room and he's, you know, 6'4", whatever, you know, 270, whatever, he's got length, he's got explosion, um, and then you look at the fact that he's, you know, he's 21 years old, you know, so I think he is a, uh, it's scary when you get a, a young player like that, um, you know, to kind of close your eyes and think about what those guys will be. The first block of organized team activities for the Packers is scheduled to begin on May 22nd. Lastly, some local golf news here. The AmFam Championship Celebrity Foursome hosted by Andy North was announced on Tuesday. It will include, of course, Andy North, Hall of Famer, Derek Jeter, Zach Johnson, and Michael Phelps. Following the final grouping of tournament play on Saturday, June 10th, the celebrities will play a nine-hole exhibition for charity starting on the 10th hole. The expected tee time is 2 p.m. You know, with exception of some of the top runners on the senior tour, or sorry, excuse me, the champions tour, I they get some of the largest galleries for the celebrity foursome out at this thing. I can see why. It's fun, right? Some big namers. I don't know if Phelps can golf. We'll have to see. 618 on Wisconsin's Morning News. Coming up, AI, one of the chiefs involved in creating this stuff, warns Congress, save us from ourselves. That story next on Wisconsin's Morning News. At 622 on Wisconsin's Morning News this morning, lawmakers in Washington digesting some heavy testimony on artificial intelligence and more warnings from the very people creating this stuff about what it may become. If my intelligence is artificial, then why am I smarter than you? (laughs) Sounds like it is. ABC News technology reporter Mike Dubusky is with us from New York this morning. So, Mike... The CEO of a company called OpenAI, Sam Altman, testifying before the Senate subcommittee. And it's not usually the case that you have tech executives going to Washington begging for regulation. But can you just characterize what we're hearing? It sounds like Altman is saying, save us from ourselves. Uh, that, that I think, is a good characterization, honestly. Yeah, Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI. This is the company that's behind ChatGPT, which you may have heard of, and Dolly2, which is a very popular image generator. He uh, appearing before lawmakers saying, hey, yeah, our industry is small, but it poses potential danger and it needs regulation. He said, when this technology goes wrong, it goes quite wrong, which is why he needs some rules 
rules of the road, and he sees lawmakers as doing that. Sam Altman did appear uh, with some suggestions for what that would look like, the big one being uh, he, he suggested that lawmakers should create a new regulatory agency, sort of like a DMV for AI in a way, where the, the government would issue licenses to startups, and uh, if those startups would run afoul of certain government rules in the development of that technology, they could have those licenses revoked. Other ideas, uh, a new set of safety standards, basically tests that these AI language models would need to pass to make sure that they don't exfiltrate into the wild, in his words. In other words, they don't want them to go rogue and do things that the creators did not expect them to do. Um, and he also invited audits from independent third parties uh, to sort of supplement the government's work there. So not only was Sam Altman on Capitol Hill advocating for regulation, he had some ideas about what that regulation could look like. All right, so is that actually going to happen? What's the what's That's the the big question? I right? think yeah. So uh, the uh, suggestions that Sam Altman put forward were uh, the, the lawmakers were receptive to them. In fact, John Kennedy of Louisiana suggested that Altman could sit on uh, the board of that regulatory agency that we were talking about, and, and Sam Altman did kind of uh, demur on that, and he said he's very happy with his job. Um, but yeah, lawmakers like it when when tech CEOs appear and say, "Hey, uh, you are necessary. You need to come and regulate this." <laughs> industry. Um, but yeah, the details uh, are, are going to be where we find the devil here, I think, is is that the specifics of exactly what this regulation is going to look like, whether it's legislation or whether it's new regulatory bodies and who chairs those regulatory bodies, we're just not there yet. Um, a, a, a lot of this um, hearing, while very cordial and very friendly, uh, was kind of light on the detail. I think, uh, you know, maybe lawmakers and, and AI watchers expected that. Uh, it does seem to be a little bit more of a fact-finding mission than, a, you know, we're going to come out of this with some hard legislation. But yeah, Richard Blumenthal, who is the chair of this committee, does say it's going to be the first in a series of hearings about AI because both uh, Congress and the Biden administration have prioritized this technology as something they want to focus on. Well, I think part of the problem, too, and we're, we're talking with Mike Dubusky, ABC News technology correspondent, part of the problem, Mike, is not even the people who are making it fully understand the capabilities of what they're creating. And the fear right. that I have when we talk about regulating it is, okay, somebody runs afoul of regulators and... And they just go underground with this stuff. And how would we ever even know? Right. Well, I mean, that is another concern about this technology. In recent months, we've seen two open letters, one of which was signed by Elon Musk, another of which was directly targeted at OpenAI saying, you need to stop development of GPT-4, which is the underlying technology behind a lot of these systems. Just stop developing it. Stop working on it while we figure out exactly how to regulate it, while we figure out what's going on here, figure out what those emergent behaviors that you referenced there are. Um, but the, the sort of other concern there is that if we stop developing this technology, there's no guarantee that Russia or China or another country around the world would also do the same and, and continue to stop. You know, there's the fear that, you know, we could fall behind in this global AI race. So a lot of people in the AI space pushing back on that as well. Um, and obviously, security concerns are, are, are a, a part of this as well. There, there is an election coming up in this country next year, and uh, that was a big topic at this hearing, uh, you know, the potential for this to be a vector for misinformation. So a lot of different concerns flying around. And like we needed another avenue for that. Mike right. Dubusky, yeah. ABC News <laughs> technology reporter. Thanks so much, Mike. Of course, guys. Take care. What is the most disgusting thing in the public restroom? Toilet. Easy, easy answer, right? Toilet. It's the toilet bowl, right? But here's the thing. 
What you don't typically do, I, I guess I don't know how you use the bathroom, Eric, but I, I'm guessing you don't go in the public bathroom and rub down that toilet bowl with your hands. This is true. I do <laughs> right. not do that. About the only thing that would contact that would be your behind, right? Okay, yeah. So here's what I'm getting at. One way that you may be sort of doing that indirectly already. It's the hand dryer. And this isn't new. We talked about this, but it seems to have new life once again on the internets. Sort of like reviralized. That was your term you used. <laughs> yes. This what do you morning. think? Does it work? Something has been out there and then it goes away and then all of a sudden it's back and it's in front yeah. of you all the time. But a lot of folks talking about it. TikTok, other social media with people claiming to do testing. So here's a guy, I just picked one of them. Username is Ultimate by Comey. He's on TikTok. So we're heading back to hand air dryers for this episode of How Germy Is It? How Germy Is It? Great. He's got Petri dishes, and then he puts them underneath public restroom dryers, and he collects samples. Then I went to a couple more locations to solidify my findings and put them all in an incubator to grow. Let's see what we found out. Yeah, well, what he found out is... So it's sucking the air before blowing the hot air on right. your hand. So it's sucking air out of the out of the room or whatever. It's got an in and an out. So there's a filter that's supposed to be changed? These things are supposed to have filters, but if they're not cleaned regularly or maintained or replaced, <laughs> no. which, who's doing that? <laughs> no one even knows they exist. <laughs> right? I mean, I don't even change the filters and stuff in my house, <laughs> much less have someone... Some part-timer in the public restroom yeah. at the gas station who's supposed to change out the filter on the hand dryer? Nope. Not happening. And when that doesn't happen, then basically it sucks the bacteria-filled air out of the oh, bathroom and stop loads it. your hands stop. up with it directly. Stop it. Go oh, ahead. I'm, ne- I'm never using a restroom publicly again, <laughs> ever. Well, you can use it. You just got to go with the air dry. No, I don't want the, oh, you mean just wave my hands around? Yeah, I mean, you go to the bathroom. So I did, I was at the gym yesterday having prepped for this story, wash my hands, I look over at the dryer, I'm like, nope. Never again. <laughs> what hands it is. Never again. <laughs> Dry them on your pants if you need to. National Police Week events at the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial and Museum in Washington, as well as around the state of Wisconsin. Ceremonies that will honor the fallen and a focus on the friends, family, and fellow officers who've lost someone in the line of duty. And we start there this morning with our teammate from 1017 The Truth, former Milwaukee Police Lieutenant, Dr. Ken Harris. Good morning. How are you? you got to have the pipes, Dr. I, Ken. I love this week, and I hate this week. Of course you would, right? Yeah. It's an important week. Yes. But, uh, you know, when, when I was preparing for this, I was going to welcome you in, and I guess you can't say happy no. <laughs> police week because no. the focus really is on the fallen this it, week. It's on the memorial and, and the fallen officers, those that have been killed. We've had five officers in Wisconsin to date that have been killed this year. And so it's been a tough year. So for national police week and what happens in Washington, I've actually, uh, I've had the opportunity to speak with family members who've been out to Washington mm-hmm. and received uh, not only visiting the memorials and those ceremonies, but then another thing that I think is so cool for them is the support network that is around yes. them and the ability that they have then to 
commune with other families yeah. who've gone through what they have, and then also know what resources are out there to support them. With organizations like Tunnel to Towers, right, that we thought would work just for 9-11, but then you started to take a step back and realize that you can impact families for generations by simply having the simple resources. Milwaukee Police Department has uh, police wives, you know, um, survivor groups, those types of things where you don't have to realize well, you don't have to feel like you're by yourself. Mm-hmm. And you realize that there's always somebody that's been through it before you. And that when you get the resource, you figure out that you can help someone that comes after you. So on your show this week, I know you're going to have a number of individuals from law enforcement locally. Yep. You talked with Sheriff Ball earlier this week. Mm-hmm. You got uh, chief of police from Milwaukee today, right? Yes, I do. So what, what are you talking to him about? What are your questions for them? Well, yesterday we actually had a uh, retired assistant chief, Ray Banks, and retired Captain Andre Williams on. And we talked about the real talk of policing, you know, that there's no badge or rule or procedure that can stop you from saying how you feel. And so what what people don't realize is that it's the same way Sheriff Ball talks and the same way, you know, Chief Norman talks, where they tell you what they're thinking. Like they that the that the integrity and the job doesn't hold back your personal belief in right and wrong. And so that's how they do the job. And so we'll we'll discuss that on a granular level of just just why do you actually do this? You wake up every day and you go to work knowing that every time you button up your uniform, that might be the last time. But yet you do it every day for 25, 30 years. And that takes a commitment that most human beings don't have. That really, if you think about it, most people in the military don't have. They do it for four years, do it for six years. I'm talking about the career folks. Right, right, right. They do it for a short stint, and they're out. We do it every day, 24 hours a day. Have you been to Washington, D.C.? Yes, During I have. this time? What's that like? Yes. It is surreal. It triggers my PTSD. I bet. Uh, it, it, does, it does all sorts of those things that helps you recognize and realize why you do what you do. And understanding that if no one did it, it would never get done. And so it gives you a sense of, of renewed courage to go back and help people who you'll never see again in your life. But knowing, you know, I still have that memory or two where the kid that I helped 94, 95 graduated from college. You know, those types of things, that is worth every bad day in law enforcement. Talking with Dr. Ken Harris, our teammate from 1017 The Truth. Hey, I wanted to ask you while we have you, we had this terrible crash early in the week, late Sunday night into Monday morning, five dead in a single crash, a car mm-hmm. going some 80 miles an hour. Doesn't sound like folks were seatbelted in it. One-year-old child among the dead. Eric and I talked about it yesterday. One thing that I did hear from family members at, sorry, yet another balloon launch for a lost life here, but one thing I heard from them was a little bit refreshing. They weren't asking for bump outs in the roads. They weren't asking for red light cameras. They were Mm -hmm. begging and pleading with people in their own neighborhood, people in their own community to Mm -hmm. step up and behave better and stop doing this. I don't think people will like my response to that. Until we start doing that for all the heroin overdoses in the wild counties, until we start calling out the families of drug addicts and heroin hypes in Cedarburg, where you had a house of, what, five people overdose? Until we do that accountability, don't come in my neighborhood and talk about accountability. Call yours out. Call your neighborhood out. Call your friends and family out. I never hear anybody going after everybody on heroin that overdose. We, we actually blame fentanyl 
for someone else's taking an illegal drug that had fentanyl in it. If you weren't on drugs, you wouldn't get fentanyl. But but we don't hold them accountable. So I have a little bit of pushback to that. But my point was they were calling for it in their own. They were amongst themselves. But but like it's they're saying been. like it's not all the projections and the solutions sure. offered by city leaders about uh, we got to fix the the intersections. They're saying we're not going to fix that until we fix behavior. Correct. Right. But that was always, my point. But they've always been saying that. Thank God the news actually listened. They rarely listen to the family. The family is saying, hey, we know Eric Bilstadt's an knucklehead, right? We got to fix somebody. Talk to him. And then something happens. And they expect the family to say, oh, that's terrible. The family's like, hey, let's do something about this. We have a perfect example of how things go bad because people don't take personal responsibility and accountability. All I'm asking is that everybody, regardless of where you are and where you live and who you are, let's, let's get rid of all the race stuff. Let's get rid of all the religious stuff and let's go down to you as an individual codes. and the zip codes and look at you and say you are personally responsible and you need to stop. Dr. Ken Harris, host of the Afternoon Show on 1017 The Truth. Thanks, Ken. Thank you.